Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And welcome to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander, along with Bunker DeFrance. me. In Los Angeles, it's our good friend Todd Roberts, who's also co-hosting. Hello. And... Uh, who we got on the show today? Well, who we got on the show? We got a we got a we got a really interesting program we today. We do. Yes, we do. Oh my goodness. Uh The gentleman who is uh, going to be joining us, his name is Bill Reynolds. He's I've worked in the Western industry for over thirty years. After getting his MFA, that's Master of Fine Arts Bunker, in graphic yes. design from California Institute of Arts in '77, he worked as an art director at A and M Records with. Uh, such diverse artists as Randy Newman, Kiss, Herb Alpert, Tanya Tucker, Bink Floyd, The Police, and Dire Straits. I almost had a I didn't job know with A. Kiss was a Western band. No, they weren't. I almost had a job with A and M Records, but uh-huh. uh, that fell the wayside. Oh, yeah. Anyway, the to further department's hard to fill. It, it is. To, to, to further introduce our guest is Todd Roberts. Go, Todd. Well, Bill is just one of those guys that is 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 my hero um, because of many reasons but the main one is he he figured out how to take the western dream the western fantasy and live in it work in it and exist immerse himself in it and make a very good living and by the way he does it with a lot of style he and his dad owned Bolin the great uh, uh, company that was started by Edward Bolin um, which has many pieces at the Autry Museum, not only for sale, but also it has the big saddle downstairs, which is the greatest saddle in many people's view in the world. It's been in many parades, but he also, as you said, Harry, worked in the recording industry. He's worked in the print magazine industry in regards to the West. He's consulted on film and television, and you know he lives up in Los Olivos and, and has... The, gets to live the cowboy lifestyle fantasy and and for that uh i'm very grateful that we have him on the show today i want to just say that i don't think it's the fantasy it's the reality because that's what he writes about and it is it is so real his writing and the people he write about are the people that we the people should know about welcome to the program bill reynolds how's everything going sir thank you very much what a delight to be here today well, I, I should probably rephrase it, Bunker, in that for me it's a fantasy. Yeah. For Bill, it is a reality. That's why he's my hero. Well, that's good. That's good. That's good thinking. Tyler. What I think there's, I think there, I think there's always a little bit of fantasy in everything. Every every great way of living should have a little bit of fantasy because then you become uh, you're always looking to enhance a little bit, and it it uh, it, it gives it a little spice. Mm-hmm. It's the old John Ford thing, the myth. The myth is what keeps us alive. Well, what what prompted you to move toward this style, the Western style, as it were? My father was in the television business. Uh, he was actually a pioneer in the business when uh, after World War II. And he was selling uh, radio time and had the opportunity to work for RKO General, which used to be the old Channel 9 in Los Angeles, and started in the business selling television time, which was somewhat unheard of, because when he was in the business, there were only 10,000 black and white televisions in the entire country. <laughs> so this would have been 1949, 1950. 
And as I grew up, uh, I grew up in the, and I was born in 1950, I grew up in the golden age of the television western. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was involved in a number of them. Uh, he left KHJ and went to CBS and was involved with um, uh, Rawhide, Have Gun Will Travel, and Gunsmoke, and later The Wild Wild West, and a couple of other ones. But those iconic shows that really defined that era uh, up until 1960. So we would have three televisions going in the house every evening, and we'd be watching, having these westerns that were proliferating on all the three networks, <laughs> and you'd, he'd, he'd sit there and go, well, how do you like that, kid? Mm-hmm. And so it was really kind of inbred. I mean, I I always had wanted a horse. I realized I, I couldn't sneak a pony in the backyard in the <laughs> studio sitting because the, the entire fabric of the community would probably unravel. So it, it was... You should have uh, moved over it, to Burbank. Was, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it was, a, it was a time when I was highly influenced by that. I was highly influenced by black hat, white hat aspect of it, mm-hmm. uh, the good and the bad, a set of values that is defined by a handshake, uh, your word is your bond, mm-hmm. uh, an honest day's living, an honest day's work. And that was very attractive to me as a young man. And I wanted to see how I could help keep that going because after 1960, we saw, and through the 60s, we saw a uh, kind of a fall off in what the Westerns were about. Mm-hmm. And when I got into my professional life, the opportunity came uh, to be involved in advertising for a number of co- companies. And I focused my work on helping companies in the Western business uh, promote their products because it was a very under-promoted industry. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was really the start. That's fascinating. Yeah, just I, fascinating. I have a question for you, Bill. Uh, one is, how come nobody's ever done a biography of your dad? Because I was looking up some stuff about him while I was looking you up, and his life is fascinating, and the influence that he has had on the industry is is tremendous. And I wanted to ask you, because I know when he was heading up a CBS, uh, a friend of the show who's now passed, but... Uh, and I worked for Kent McRae, was instrumental sure. in some of the shows that I know your dad was. Uh, did you know, you know any stories about Kent and your dad? That early? I don't know any stories about Kent, but I will tell you an interesting factlet about Rawhide. When, when uh, Rawhide was being developed, uh, it was really kind of opposite uh a show on ABC called 77 Sunset Strip. Oh, yes. You got to remember that. And they had, it was kind of a buddy show. You know, these were these were private eyes. And they operated out of, uh, you know, a restaurant. And Ed Burns was there as kind of the young foil. And so there was a desire at CBS. They saw the success of that show. And at the time, a lot of the programming at CBS was uh, being overseen by a fellow by the name of Hunt Stromberg, Jr., a brilliant program. 
And um, they came up with this idea for Rawhide, where you have a couple of principals, or, or a main guy, you know, uh, Gil Favor was kind of the Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. character. <laughs> so they needed a guy, they needed a guy to do, to be effectively uh, Ed Cookie Burns. Uh-huh. And be kind of the heartthrob. And they had seen a, they'd seen a Twilight Zone that Rod Feeling had done that had a young man in it named Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and they they brought him in for a meeting, and I think it was Eastwood and my father and Hunt Stromberg and a couple of other guys, and they talked to him about it. And he had that gray hair that he had in the show, you know, kind of the way Ed Cookie Burns had his hair, you know, without sands of the comb. And that was the, uh, he literally hired Eastwood to be Rowdy A. For his and hair. That was the, uh, the start of uh, all because of he had this great hair and this kind of demeanor. That's great. But yeah. obviously, it, it was a fairly good career move for Eastwood. No, yeah. I can just see the credits. Uh, Rowdy Yates, played by Clint Eastwood's hair. Yeah, right. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I do know that they, they had a couple of people making sure he looked great. Yeah. You know, that whenever that hat came off, you know, he never suffered from uh, from hat head. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I noticed because he always had, you know, Back in those days in TV, you didn't see a lot of throat latches on the hats, but he definitely had the throat yeah. latch to it because that hat was on the back of his head more than it was on the on top of his head. Yeah, those little stampede strings come in come yeah. in handy, you know, and they're named for an, an appropriate yeah. event. <laughs> I got a question for you. This is a theory of mine. Uh, you know, one of the you know when all of a sudden you know like westerns were all over the place, and then all of a sudden they just flat disappeared almost overnight. And I I firmly believe it wasn't because of the audience, because some of the shows being canceled were highly rated. But I think it was all to do with demographics, and I think that's still the problem today uh, with trying to sell westerns. Now, can I get your feet on that? I think there's a, there certainly were generational shifts. Uh, 1960 was kind of an interesting year because it was the year that uh, The Misfits came out with Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the first of the big anti-Westerns. And obviously after that, The Magnificent Seven came out. But the shows uh, were, were not as popular because the kids are growing up and then all of a sudden there was this phenomenon and the irony is my father was had had, had left uh, CBS and was uh, later at, at Paramount Television and that was where Star Trek was happening mm -hmm. and Star Trek really was the next generation's western yeah and that's obviously the turbulence of the 1960s Really, uh, that and the and the Kennedy assassination. Uh, you know, we've always heard that that was the loss of our innocence. Yeah. And to some level, it, it I think it was, but I think also what was happening is like everything has a shelf life and everything evolves. And the westerns that were being churned out, especially the ones on ABC with, you know, Laramie and Sugarfoot and oh. uh, the Lawman, all they they all were kind of the same. Uh, 
formula. Formula like sitcom, like sitcom formulas. Yeah, exactly. And it was just, you know, they were, as they called them, they were odors. O-A-T-E-R-S. Yep. You know, you had guns and shoot 'em ups and they resolved a problem in 26 minutes. <laughs> and all that worked, but I think like everything else, society was evolving. As you said, the demography was changing. But even more importantly, I think the psychographics of the viewership was changing as well because of the the, the social changes that were going on. Do you think that pendulum is starting to swing back uh, toward uh, the Western favor? I mean, we've been seeing new Westerns coming out. A great example is uh, News of the World, the Tom Hanks movie. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's uh, swinging back? I think, I think Yellowstone is even, it's even, a, it's yeah. even a better example. Uh, yeah. I think that the success of Yellowstone and, you know, Costner is as close as we have to a reoccurring Western personality. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, ever since Dances with Wolves, he's been able to kind of trot out, no pun intended there, <laughs> some Westerns that, you know, and have Duvall involved and other people. But Yellowstone is sort of the Dallas of the yeah. 2020. And uh, it's, got, it's got all kinds of things going on in there. Now, I think I, I think with the populist shift in the country, I think there's so much turmoil that's going on now. I, I, I do think that with technology being as developing as rapidly as it is, the aspect of the somewhat simpler values that Yellowstone depicted, um, News of the World was a disturbing film, but I thought it was brilliantly done. Um, and I think, and as you see in the trades, all of a sudden, Yellowstone and News are permission givers for Hollywood to say, "Oh, gee, maybe we could make a western." <laughs> and you know, Light bulb came a, on. you know, yeah, jeepers, creepers. <laughs> and um, well, you there know, are so many great things that could be done, or uh, and it's all. I, I can remember I interviewed um, Tom Selleck once, and he had. We were talking about this, so talking about westerns, and I said, "Would you do another western?" He said, "Absolutely, if the writing is there." And he said, "The problem is nobody's writing. Yeah. Nobody's writing anything of any quality because we are so many generations away from writers or people who actually put a foot in a stirrup." Right. You know, they've they've read about it, they've seen it. They've looked at it. They've never done it. You're academic. You know, they've never, yeah, they've never gotten up at 4.30 and saddled in a stone barn, stepped on, and rode out in the morning to see what was going to happen. You know, that, and there the are people doing that. Yeah, I mean, there's people still doing that. There's yeah. more people than you know who are still making a living horseback, which is very encouraging to me. Yeah. There are more custom saddle makers today than there ever were, wow. and you learn more about them because of Instagram and Facebook. Hmm. You can see more about them. So, you know, the life is out there, as, as Baxter Black so wonderfully said, you know, yeah. it's not disappearing, it's just harder to see from the interstate. Mm-hmm. 
All right, we're going to do our first commercial break. <clears throat> our guest is uh, Bill Reynolds. He's a Western industry consultant, uh, jack of all trades and master of just about all of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and uh, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. We'll be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. You're darn tootin'. Yes, sir, Bob. This is the Voices of the West. We're back on Animal Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts. Tootin'. Our guest is uh, Bill Reynolds. Consultant of the Western variety, <laughs> and but Bill is also an author. He and uh, his friend Buck Brenneman uh, wrote the best-selling "The Faraway Horse" that was released in two thousand one and soon to be a film. And uh, Bill is also the author of the Cowboy Hat Book, along with the Art of the Western Saddle. Let's talk about those books. Well, you know, uh, I think the soon to be a movie was was the. Uh, Book that the movie that came out about Buck under a different title, isn't that right? Uh, he was the inspiration for uh, the Horse Whisperer. Yes, uh, that was Nicholas Evans' book back in the late '90s, 
and uh, Robert Redford produced that, and uh, uh, yeah, we were uh, we were active on that film, which was a, a fun. It was a fun deal. It was a uh, um, it was Disney. Um, they were behind it, and it was shot in uh, Montana and uh, Wyoming, and it was. Uh, uh, effectively, the story of Branham's life. I mean, this is a this is a horse clinician, a horse trainer, uh, who started out uh, as a seriously abused child in a very abusive family, and had the opportunity to be taken into by a foster home, and uh, just wanted a cowboy. This was up in the Gallatin Gateway area of Montana, and uh, started cowboying and. Uh, had the opportunity to meet a very important person in the natural horsemanship world, a fellow by the name of Ray Hunt. Mm-hmm, and uh, he started at 19 years old uh, giving horsemanship clinics and uh, continues to do that today after almost 40 years, uh, doing about 35 of them a year and travels all over the country in Europe and Australia. So. Uh, the Faraway Horses is his life story, and it, it uh, it's an uplifting look at, at how the horses saved him and how the relationship between human and horses uh, is so important to so many people. You know, I think there's an interesting uh, backstory on that, too, as well. The audio book, which was called The Faraway Horses, The Adventures and Wisdom of America's Most Reward- Renowned Horseman, was a six-hour, seven-minute yep. Uh, audio book narrated by John Pruden, and I've I read several people's comments about the audio book alone, and they said that it literally changed their lives. Mm. And these are horse people. The cowboy hat book. It, go ahead. Yes. Go, no, go ahead. Finish off what you were going to say. Well, I, I was just going to say that the, the interesting thing about what he does and your comment about changing lives is very true. You know, when you have a relationship with something or someone and one side wins and the other side loses, it's not really not a, a relationship. It's, it's a domination. And what Buck shows is that in order for everybody to get along, it's got to be a good deal for both of you, for both the horse and the human. And it really is a dance. When it all works together, and I'm going to quote the author Thomas McGuane here, when it all works together and the horse and the human get along, what, what happens is you become a third, a third being where the two of you kind of merge together and you don't know where the human ends and the horse begins. And so when you have that kind of a epiphany, when you're just trying to stay alive on your horse, uh, it affects the rest of your life. It affects you, the relationship with your spouse, with your boss, with your kids. And you start realizing that this has to be an even deal. We all have to get something positive out of it and work together to make it happen. So um, it's it's fascinated me. I've I've known Buck for since he was nineteen <laughs> and uh, sixty years old now, and uh, it never ceases to surprise me the changes that happen over these three day horse clinics of how people react. So he, he's a he's a quite a unique individual. I wanna I wanna mention a thing from the documentary on Buck 
there's a, a sequence in there where this woman comes to him with a horse that is just all attitude, bad attitude, hurts people. And Buck is yep. working with the horse, and he's getting nowhere. And he's tried everything. And finally, he has to do the thing, one thing in life he hates more than anything else. He tells the woman the horse has to be put down. And she says, well, can yeah. I put him out to pasture? He says, no, he has to put be put down. This horse was deprived of oxygen when it was born. It's got brain damage. You, we, there's nothing I can do or anybody can do. You've got to put this horse down. And I'll tell you, that, you know, it, I can't speak for anybody else in the theater, but I was choked up. Mm, interesting. It's not something you think would happen. Uh, you know, he's he started somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 horses over his career. And I've only seen situations like that a handful of times. And it just, there's certainly the situation where a horse doesn't suit someone. You can, you can sure get along, but boy, it can be really hard. And, and the fear factor can enter into it and really ruin the relationship. So, and as you saw, the horse bit that guy in the head in the documentary. And there was really no, nothing else that could be done. And it's not what he, uh, as he said, the horse is his best friend. And yet there was no life, uh, no future life for that horse. And you can see how much it hurt him to do that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the Cowboy Hat book, a true and complete story of the Cowboy Hat. Um, I, I saw a, a piece on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's called The Cowboy Hat Movie, and it uh, I don't remember who did it, but um, it was released last year, and it's the story of this guy in search of the perfect cowboy hat. Um, and, Who's this, though? Uh, well, <laughs> actually, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that what he ended up with? Well, the the hat hat with a gust cut is what he ended up with. But let's talk about yeah. the the this. Uh, it, he he talks about how the cowboy hat came to be, uh, you know, uh, from the vaqueros and uh, you know with the sombrero and then various styles and such. So is that pretty much what this book does? Yeah, it takes you through. I mean, it it, it, it what it does is it give a appreciation to the fact that it is this is a handcrafted item yep. it takes 13 steps to make a hat uh, it hasn't changed since John B. Stetson pretty much created the wide brim hat that ult ultimately would be called the boss of the plains hat mm -hmm. that Tom Mix made very famous but the way hats are made today is pretty much the way it was 150 years ago it's, it's still uh, it's still animal fur that's put together, and while styles have changed and the machinery pretty much has stayed the same, there's uh, it still is considered as iconic a uh, an image of a root-based culture in this country anywhere in the world. It's an you put on a cowboy hat. You put on a cowboy hat, you go anywhere in the world, you're either a hero or a target. <laughs> you know, it's so funny you say that. When I was working out in California doing stunt work, I started out doing you know, horse work and then moved out there. And uh, I found out right away 
that if you wanted to fit in with the stunt community, because all the guys that I had, I had started with were all retiring and dying off, and it was all the younger guys, that you better have a pair of shorts, a ball cap, and, and Adidas on. Because if you went into the studio with a hat, they thought you were a wrangler. Yeah, yeah. Wow. No, it, it, it is a, you know, you, you can tell where people are from. You can tell them what part of the country they're from. You can tell what they do. Shapes and creases are identifying trademarks of it. And, and you can tell if they're a good know, guy or a bad guy. Yeah, you know, black hat. Well, that not anymore. Really <laughs> I mean, Johnny Mac Brown yeah, wore black it, hats. Hey, hey nowadays <laughs> yeah. you've got guys wearing pink hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's, let's not go there. Shutter. But <laughs> when the films were black and white, it worked much easier. But <laughs> right. It was, well, you know, this it, is it a, really is. This is a good way to segue into Joe DeYoung. Well, before you do that, I want to find out what kind of hat do you have, Bill? I have a what's called a clear. Uh, it's it's a clear pure beaver, and I I will not lie to you. I probably have too many hats than I really need. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Who doesn't? <laughs> but uh, you know, there's really nothing like having. You know, I used to, you know, go to a western store and buy. You know, box hats off the shelf, go to the hat wall and pull one off. But there really is nothing like having a custom hat made. It's like having a, a, like a custom suit made or something. When they really fit you, yeah. especially if you wear them all day, yeah. uh, you know, you don't want to look like somebody's put uh, a gluing clamp on your forehead when you <laughs> take them off. So it's, it's uh, you know, there's really nothing like a, like a well-fitting yep. hat that is proportional to your face. It really, uh, and yes, uh, you, you wear it out, you, you wear it, and yes, you are John Wayne. There's just no getting around it. Let, let me ask you there. Now, do you have one of those accordion hat racks? Because I've got one so that I can put my hats up, and I, and I, I no, laying I, I, in bed, I can see every, it, and I love it when I wake up in the morning, that's one of the first things I see, is all of my hats up there on the wall. No, my wife's all over me because I got hats on tables everywhere in the house. So it's really, you no, know, they're all sitting on their crown and just you know waiting for oh, me yeah. to walk by and grab. The, the, the women just don't understand. My wife is the same way. That drives me nuts when I see a hat with the brim down. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the uh, book that you did here about Joe DeYoung. But first, we yes. got to do an, uh, our second commercial break. You are in tune with Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, and our guest is Bill Reynolds. Uh, we'll be back with much more right after this. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. 
first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting place courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Hi everyone, it's Susan McRae and welcome to Chaparral Roundup. As you know, I've postponed the March event to October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd so we can all relax, have a great time with great dinners, a great lunch at the White Stallion Ranch, Q&A panels, screenings of a couple of our favorite High Chaparral shows, the documentary of Kent McRae so we can honor him during his favorite reunion. And we have a great silent auction to benefit the Robert F. Hoy and Kiva Hoy charity at the Tucson Medical Center. If you're already registered for March, you're automatically registered for October. But if you're not, you better register by September 17th. I look forward to seeing you all, and so does Don, with his confessions of an acting cowboy. You'll have fun. See you in October for the Chaparral Roundup at Lodge on the Desert in Tucson, Arizona. I guess I got the masked man to thank for keeping me out of more trouble, Bill. Masked man? Call him that if you want to. Or you can call him by another name. What's that? The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. This is the Voices of the West. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest is uh, Bill Reynolds, also north of Los Angeles. And Bill, we have to uh, play this song, uh, the uh, theme to the High Chaparral, otherwise De France walks off the set. That's right. Um, he was in fifty. <laughs> he was in fifty-two or or so uh, uh, episodes uh, of that great Western program. So that's when. That, yeah. That's. That, to me, is the template, the way I think a Western series should be made. Okay, the uh, uh, Joe DeYoung, A Life in the West. You know, one of the things, when we were talking about the hats, I remember, because I had one, the post, the Joe DeYoung poster of hats. Wow. I also had the, the saddle poster and the horse poster. Wow. 
I wish I had him now because I don't know whatever <laughs> happened to him. But God, he was so important. Yeah. I mean, he was he 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 did what he was, Bill did. He was a film consultant. Uh, he was one of the great artists of the West. You know, the, the only protege that Charlie Russell ever had that I know of. And if I'm if I remember right, and you can correct me, Bill, but uh, he went deaf at an early age, and still went on to do all of this. Wow. Yeah, he was not, he was nineteen, uh, and contracted a virus that uh, at the time they called it cerebral meningitis, mm. and what it, it it made him deaf. It took his balance away from him, uh, caused his eyes to cross, and uh, he got he got through it. He got his balance back, and his eyes came back to normal, but he had lost his hearing. And the, the Joe is a, such a fascinating character. You know, there's over a hundred books written about Charlie Russell, and there's not one written about Joe, except for this one. And my real purpose in doing it, uh, you know, I knew that me and four other people would want to buy it, but it was uh, <laughs> it was really just so he would not be thank you. It, it's you know, lest we forget, you cannot, unless you remember people and have some basis of source material to learn about them, they go away completely, forever. And because Joe was so involved in Hollywood, uh, a friend, a mutual friend of Todd's and mine, uh, historian uh, Dan Galeasso, mm-hmm. who is a, a brilliant writer and a brilliant historian friend of the show as well also a very good friend of the show yep yeah he uh he did a, a tremendous piece for montana magazine years ago that really was a large motivating factor for me to do the whole book and uh he made a point that it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that because of all the involvement that joe had <clears throat> in so many films with so many costumes with so many sets that he designed that he may be the most viewed western artist of all time hmm. strictly based on the numbers and mm-hmm. what he did by having the uh, ability to have all of these multiple images in motion pictures so he never let his deafness get in his way I mean he he knew sign language and that was how he principally spoke with Russell as Russell was sort of a guttural conversationist. He really didn't like to talk to people. Yeah. So they spoke in various tribal uh, sign language. And uh, he, uh, all through life, uh, and I can remember, there's a, I talk about, and again, my dad was involved in this. I only met Joe once, and it was ironically uh, at Ed Boland's shop in Hollywood. Hmm. And dad was working on a pilot for CBS called The Great Adventure, which was a series of historical dramas. And I think they produced half a dozen of them. Uh, but he was there to talk to Ed Bolin about a, a specific type of cavalry garrison buckle. You know, this is engraving on the inside of the ring, mm-hmm. specific. So we w- went into the shop, and there was a fellow standing next to Ed Bolin, and I had met Ed Bullen before I was 12 at the time, and I was introduced uh, 
by Mr. Boland to Jody Young. And he said, now, Bill, when you say hello, look Joe right in his eyes because he's deaf and he's going to read your lips, which I did. And he was very polite and he was very nice and uh, gave me a little drawing of a horse head, which I don't have, naturally. But uh, it was fascinating because the three of them stood there in a matter of about 15 minutes, they had these drawings and dimensions, and, you know, Joe was quoting uh, all kinds of historic information. And then we got back in the car and went home. But that experience never left me. It never left me that here was a person, and I never even considered his deafness. I was so blown away by what he knew Mm. and the respect that he showed for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So later when the opportunity came to do this book and it took a long time but I just felt this is a person deserving of this and it's worth my time hmm. you know, so speaking to that uh, Bill <clears throat> and you've said you know he possibly could be the most western uh, viewed western artist of all time and I would agree with that Dan has said that to me many times um, and I would imagine Joe and Bunker agree, but for those of us who uh, out there who don't know who he is in the audience and, and so on, um, if you'd give a little bit of a just a quick um, how he started and what he did specifically, sure. but also sure. to realize that um, the influence one of the to make the point so great of how viewed he is is, I would say, although he didn't work on the film Tombstone, he is directly responsible for the look of that film and the way the Cowboys specifically dressed. Yes, I'd agree. I think his uh, he he started to pursue an art career. He wanted to be a cowboy. Uh, he got he got sick. He was actually working on a film in Arizona with Tom Mix when he got sick, and. Uh, while he was recovering, he wrote. He wrote Charlie Russell. Said, "I wanted to come. I'd like to come and see you. I'm going to give you the cocktail napkin version of this." <laughs> and uh, uh, he, uh, Russell, was very inviting and allowed him to come and visit. And they worked out a deal where he could come and apprentice with Russell. And Joe's parents uh, were very. These were very giving people. They were from Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And they moved from there uh, to Montana, to Choteau, Montana. And uh, Joe's dad ran a pool hall in a general store there for a while. And Joe lived with the Russells, worked with them. And after Russell's death in 1926, Nancy Russell was very promoting of Joe's work. And during that period of time, Joe had met... uh, Ed Boreen, the Santa Barbara artist, and Boreen brought him out to uh, Santa Barbara where he lived for many years and then uh, participated in uh, a ride that we have out here called the Rancheros Visitadores that Ed Boreen started. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of that and continue on that. Uh, But Joe had the opportunity to meet Cecil B. DeMille's assistant on the ride in 1935. And ultimately got a job working uh, with DeMille as a, as a costume illustrator and set illustrator. And he did 
over 1,500 illustrations for various films, various Western films, um, Union Pacific, Northwest Mounted Police, so many of them. His biggest probably was when he was working on Shane in the late 40s, and he was working under Edith Head, the costume designer. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually got along pretty well because she was kind of a stickler for authenticity. <laughs> but all through his life, he always had a way of being a catalyst for other artists to meet each other, to promote each other. Uh, he, was, he was very important for Maynard Dixon to meet a number of patrons. I mean, you have to remember, when all this was going on, uh, after, after Russell died, we, we, oh, by the way, we went through a depression, and we had the WPA, the Federal Arts Program. Mm -hmm. And he, Ed Boreen, uh, Jimmy Swinnerton, Dixon, all of them participated in that and just felt lucky that they had work. Uh, Joe did one of the post office murals uh, was a little post office in Texas. Maynard Dixon did four of those. And they all evolved through the 30s, which really was the golden age of the Western picture, right up until 39, when World War II started. And everything changed. But even through that, Joe, he illustrated for Western Horsemen. He did small uh, commissions for people. And never, ever complained, never, ever felt he had been given a bad deal because he was deaf. <clears throat> and during the period of time, it was pretty tough for people with what we'll call disabilities to be taken seriously. But in all the correspondence I ever saw, and that includes all the letters between he and Joe Beeler, there was never any whining. Joe lived a great life uh, <laughs> until he died in 75. And uh, I think he's a very important person in the West. He helped define a style. He helped keep Russell's vision of the West alive long after it had gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wish I'd had the opportunity to know him because I think he was you know, you mentioned fascinating. Person. Fascinating. Oh, we've got a uh, last break. Yeah, we got to do our last commercial break here. Uh, you're in tune with Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. Our guest is Bill Reynolds. We're going to be back with much more to wrap up the show here in just a little bit. So do stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities 
stories that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. I'm just a cowboy, a Texas buckaroo. I love the open spaces where skies are always blue. I just like to ride along, singing on my way. Watching all the doggies and rounding up the street. Can't do a show without some Ray Whitley. Oh, I'm sorry. You're, you're a Whitley addict. <laughs> I am. It's one of the greatest Western musicians around, as far as I'm concerned. You know, Him and the Sons of the Park. Johnny Bond. and uh, Anyway, we're talking with Bill Reynolds here on uh, Amal Franzi's uh, Voices of the West. And Bill's done a bunch of writings. Uh, he's run a bunch of magazines and... I imagine that's where all these writings appeared. Well, you know, one of the things, Bill, I want to say, I was looking at that list of writings, and I think that's one of the most impressive lists I've ever seen, and mainly because it was there's just one icon after another, and these are all people that their story and their history and their legacies need to be out mm-hmm. there, yeah. and Bill... I've got my hands in prayer. Harry can attest to that. <laughs> Bill, I want you to collect those in a book so that we can read them all. And I know it'll take more than one book. I'll buy three volumes if it takes that many. <laughs> but those are stories that are just so, so important to to our heritage. Well, thank you. That, 
that website is it keeps getting fuller and fuller <laughs> um, and uh, you know that's where we I stored all of the the Cowboy Way magazine and uh, Ranch and Riata and people can go there and, and read all the issues uh, that we did over the years um, but most of those stories and all of the my, the motivation for me and I still I write a, mo- a monthly uh, piece for Western Horsemen online mm-hmm. currently and I'm continuing to do that all of these really are about as I said a little earlier just not forgetting uh, everything has a hold fast everything has an origin and these great characters of the West who who in most cases depicted such uh, admirable values and really truly American values of of uh, how they treated people and, and what they expected out of life. Uh, that as we move so quickly today and, and truly become global in everything, the, the American West is is not just a, a, a geographic place, but it's such a state of mind. Mm-hmm. And it is, it truly is about the people and the people who choose to be there, and they, and they do. Uh, and they choose to live a life that is giving as well as, in many ways, very, very creative and very hard in some cases. But uh, most of those stories are about individuals who chose a life and ex- excelled at it. And well, I just am not prepared to allow it to go away. That's one of the purposes behind this program yeah. is to uh, keep keep that uh genre alive and uh, so far I think we're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> you know, I, w- I want to thank you again. You know, I, I, I'm sounding like a fawning Todd Roberts here, but <laughs> that's fine because I, I, I love Todd. But, you know, your, your, your article about Ernie Morris and his book Vaquero Heritage, oh, sure. I would not have known about him had it not been for you. And that, I'll tell you what, Ernie is Ernie is quite a character. He's he's in his mid nineties now. Uh, he lives up in Templeton, California, and this is a guy, a multi talented artist and leather braider and uh, uh, storyteller extreme. And uh, people should look him up because it this is one of the last real vaqueros, one of the last real California vaqueros. And as he always said. When we when we trot out to go to the works, where they go to gather cattle or brand or whatever it would be, he said we trotted, we never loaded up in a stock trailer and climbed into an air conditioned pickup <laughs> and drove out. <laughs> but he's just got those kind of stories that are just captivating. He's a fascinating, fascinating man. Yeah, I recommend so, everybody. Bill, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> Because uh, I'm, I guess I'm just uh, in that. Yeah, it won't be the first time. True, uh, you know there was an incident, um, and you wrote a great article. Speaking of your articles, I'll stay in that same vein. You wrote a, you wrote a great article about um, John Wayne, and you know well, that the losing, you know what what America's on the verge of losing, which is what we keep talking about, is the West or the spirit of the West or the voice of the West or whatever it is. And, you know, Bunker and Harry and I have had very uh, 
been very vocal in our uh, in our opinion of this incident, so that we don't need to go run o- go all over that again. Rabbit. Everyone knows Rabbit. that, but I would love to hear your response to the incident at uh, USC Film School, where a young student uh, who was not Angelo uh, walked into the film school and saw the John Wayne display that the uh, family had loaned the school because of John Wayne being an alumni of SC, being a Trojan, and he said, uh, I'm uncomfortable looking at these images because of all the Mexicans and Indians that John Wayne killed in his films. Therefore, the next thing you know, SC has the backbone of a willow tree, or a willow, and moves it all out, and now it's in the John Wayne experience in Dallas-Fort Worth. And Although I've got a, the three of us, Dan Galeasso as well, has a very, shall I say, poignant, direct response. I'd like to hear you being the master of communication of your response of not only what we're losing, but as as we are here in the moment feeling it, but future generations losing what they're losing. Well, I don't know if SC was the proper place in the first place for that. I am I am truly a believer of not pushing rope uphill. And <laughs> when you have when you have a an exhibit of such a of such a cultural firebrand as John Wayne. And certainly, you know, you look at all you got to do is sit down and watch the searchers. But if if if, if you want to celebrate an individual like that, as opposed to creating a uh, a moment where you know it's calculable. Those are very smart people at USC. You know you can calculate that there's going to be at least 50% of the people that are going to come in and they're going to be either insulted, they're going to uh, like this person that came in and, and was uncomfortable with it. Why? As opposed to, you know, the, the exhibit is where it is is appropriate now, and from the standpoint of what your program is trying to do, what I'm trying to do, uh, I don't I don't want to create failure right from the beginning. I, I don't want to do a what if to somebody and say, so what do you think of this? It's not what it's about. This is, these are all, all that Wayne exhibit was, was, they were moments in time. They were, they were depicted moments in time that deserved to be looked at for what they were when they were originally done. You know, we can always start second guessing cultural aspects of things 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. And maybe it doesn't fit the time. But I, I, I would go back to, whoever was the person that wanted to put that exhibit in there and ask them, so what are your expectations of this exhibit? What, where are the pluses that are going to happen, and have you weighed them against the minuses, especially with uh, the level of, the, the level of uh, I'll use that word firebrand again, that Wayne has become. You know, he's still one of the most popular, I don't know what, number he was. He was number seven for seemed like 30 years yeah. as the most popular f- 
film actor in, in the world. You know, I but think, oh, I, I just want to... Uh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Quickly, quickly, we're almost yeah, out of time. That if, if John Wayne were to be asked today what he thought about this situation, I think he would probably say, hey, this is a great place to start a discussion. There you go. And we have to leave it at that, unfortunately. Bill, we'd love to have you back again sometime. Many times. Many times, as a well, matter of fact. A great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Todd. Bill, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bill Reynolds, Western uh, Industry Consultant. Western wow. lifestyle itself. Boy, I'll tell you what. This is, this is one hell of a guy, man. Hey, he's one of... I don't like I don't I don't like heroes, so I just I'll just say he's one of my favorites. Alrighty then. So with that, we will uh, can't stop. <laughs> we will. There we go. Harry's phone won't stop. There we go. Stop. 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 Oh, let's just go. Let's just screw it. Screw it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it for this edition of Abel Francis Voices. Seventy-eight. <laughs> Seventy-nine. Eighty-o's, amigo. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. 